how we doing, New Hope? Back there, I'm like, oh, yeah, I got to take my mask off so I can talk to him, but I'm like tangled. Ah, there we go. I was like, can't get the thing off, right? Just wanted to prove you that I do practice wearing the mask. Hey, welcome this morning to New Hope Community Church. Glad that you're here personally, and if you're joining us online, thanks for joining us. We've been in this series this month of November called Wealth, W-E-L-L-T-H, and the idea of it is for us to evaluate in our own lives and to allow really God, the Holy Spirit, to evaluate where are we at when it comes to our W-E-A-L-T-H, our wealth, and how is it with the W-E-L-L-T-H, wealth, with our souls? How are we doing in that area of our lives? And so we're going to really pretty much conclude today what Paul has been writing to Timothy, his disciple or his mentee, uh, the one that he's been training in 1 Timothy chapter 6 today. And next weekend is Thanksgiving weekend, and we will gather back together, but it'll be an opportunity for us to have extended worship, an opportunity for us to actually stand up and give thanks to God of what he has provided for us in our lives. And so just prepare your hearts next week, maybe for a 20, 30 second, 10 second, just, hey, I'm thankful for this, because we're going to have a little roving mic piece. It'll all be COVID safe in the way we're doing it, but it's an opportunity for us to take time out to actually express back to God for all that he has provided for us. So as I start this morning here, I want you to hear these words, okay? Now, through this series, I have not spoken that it is wrong to be wealthy, nor have I condemned those who are wealthy. I've not condemned them. Nor have I spoken to the fact that we should all get rid of and give away our wealth. I didn't say any of those things. But I have spoken to the tension of wealth and what it can do to us if we do not maintain it in proper godly perspective and proper godly practice. God's word speaks much of what we are to do with our wealth and also not to do. God's teaching to us on wealth is that it is not sin, but that it is a great responsibility in our lives. Now, for most of us in the room, you may or may not have paid much attention over these last three, four weeks talking about the idea of wealth, because I think typically in our minds, at least, we come to the conclusion that, hey, I'm not wealthy. (laughs) I'm not wealthy. He's not talking about me. But let me remind you how wealthy we really are. So I want to do with I want to take you through a little mental exercise, okay? So imagine doing the following in your own personal life, and by doing the following, it will not only remind you of how wealthy we are, 
but also how the majority of up to half of our world actually lives. Okay, so here we go. Number one, take all the furniture out of your home except for a table and two chairs. Then take blankets and some padding and put them on the ground for your bed. Okay? Take away all your clothing except for your oldest suit or dress, pair of pants or maybe a blouse. Keep one pair of shoes for yourself. All right? Empty the pantry and the refrigerator of all your food, except for some flour, some sugar, a little bit of salt, a bag of potatoes, maybe some onions, and a bowl of dried beans. Then go and rip out your bathrooms, plural. Rip out all your plumbing, running water, everything. Rip out all your electrical from your house. And then move your family from the house out into the tool shed. Not the pole shed, the tool shed. And then move your tool shed to a shanty town. Get rid of all your subscriptions to the newspaper, to book clubs, to your magazines, which really isn't a big deal anyways because none of you can read. Any electronics that you've had, so you can hook up to Netflix or whatever, it's gone. You don't need any vehicle at all because now you walk everywhere you go. Take the nearest clinic, hospital, and move it 10 miles away. Take the doctor and replace it with one midwife. To the eldest in the family, give two acres to produce crop, and then to be able to sell that crop for income, but a third of that income has to go to the landowner and another tenth to the money lender who you borrowed money from to get the seed to grow the crop. Get rid of all your 401ks, your social security, get rid of your insurances, get rid of your bank accounts and leave for your family a cash hoard of $10. And then lastly, lop off 25 years of your life expectancy. So let me ask you, by comparison, are we rich? Are we wealthy? And God says with our wealth comes great responsibility, wisdom, not to be wasteful, but to help others. 
This is the instruction or the command that the Apostle Paul gives to his student, Timothy, as he writes him this letter in 1 Timothy. He's writing him and saying, hey, as a Christ follower now, this is how you are to live. And it's interesting, in his writing, in the three verses that I'm going to read you, Paul gives Timothy two commands and one carrot. Two commands and one carrot. What we see throughout Scripture is God, when he gives us a command, he also attaches a carrot to it. Hey, if you do this, this is what will occur or happen. It's the carrot, it's the positive. But this is what he writes, three short verses, world, not to be arrogant, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. In this, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. So when Paul gives Timothy a command, he's not giving him a suggestion, okay? When we want somebody to really do something because it's important, we don't come and say, oh, could you please do that? Or, hey, if, if you got time or whenever, do that. No, if it's important, if it's a must, it comes out from us as a command, right? You are going to do this. A command is not optional. There's no plan B to the command. So Paul is writing Timothy and he says, I command those who are rich not to be, what? Arrogant, not to be proud of their position, not to be proud of their wealth. And why is this? Because in reality, we have no position. We have no wealth because ultimately our wealth comes from God. In Deuteronomy 8.18, it says, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Guild to do a certain kind of work positioned us with the ability and the skill to do a certain kind of work. Has he not given us the physical energy to do the work eight hours a day or 10 hours a day or six hours a day? Has he not given us the wisdom and the understanding of certain skills that each one of us have differently in order to produce wealth? Does he not give us the ability to innovate and to create and to invest And so God says, listen, I have created you with the ability to produce wealth. So recognize where it ultimately comes from. But secondly, I'm also the owner of it all. Psalm 24, 1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. 
So Paul's saying, listen, Timothy, you have no position to be arrogant in your wealth. Because God's the one that gave you the ability to produce it, and ultimately, he owns it. He owns you. He owns it all. So you have no position to be arrogant or proud. But then he says as well, I command you not to put your hope in your wealth as well, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us everything for our enjoyment. You know, because men and women are fallen because we are sinful and we don't put our confidence in God, we have to find our confidence somewhere. And that somewhere typically is in our material wealth, our money, our possessions. That's where we find our security or we seek enjoyment, satisfaction. But I think we've all lived long enough in the room to recognize that material wealth does not ultimately satisfy our hearts. It doesn't. If it did, we, if it did, we wouldn't keep buying the next thing and replacing it over and over and over again. We'd still potentially be driving vehicles that have like roll-down windows and just get AM, FM stations, right? Instead of stations from now all over the world or wherever it is and that kind of thing. But it doesn't satisfy, so I need to get the next best thing. And we realize it's obvious that our wealth, our money position doesn't save us eternally. You know, we are born naked in the world and we leave naked. We have somebody that has to dress us, if we're honest, on our last day before we're put in the ground. And we got nothing before God. We don't carry our wealth with us. We're not sitting in line for eternity saying, well, hey, I got a 45-foot trailer. (laughs) Bobby's only got a 20-foot. I'm in. Solomon said, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. There's a story in Luke chapter 12, where Jesus is confronted by two brothers. The one brother comes to Jesus because the other brother isn't sharing the inheritance. And my assumption is, is in that culture, the eldest brother got the majority of the inheritance as opposed to the younger. And so I'm sure this is the younger brother saying, listen, my older brother should be divvying up actually equally here. But this is what Jesus responds And in his response, he's giving us a picture of what our God, our creator, thinks of how we handle material wealth. Someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide up the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, man who appointed me a judge and an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, watch out, be on guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in the abundance of possessions. And he told this parable, which is a a spiritual story. 
the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns, I'll build bigger ones, and there I'll store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take it easy, eat, drink, and be merry. We've heard that line, right? But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you, then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? Right? Hey, you can't take it with you. This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not generous towards God. Basically, hey, who doesn't have this idea of how to handle wealth in order? And so Paul is instructing Timothy here, and with the first command, he's saying, when it comes to wealth, this is what you should not do. Be arrogant about your wealth and position, what you have, and not to put your hope in it. But in the second command, then he says, but this is what you should do with your wealth. Command them to do good, to be rich in deeds, good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. So Paul says, hey, don't do this. Be arrogant, put your hope in your wealth. But with your wealth, at whatever level you have, do this. Be rich in good deeds. Hey, if you want to be rich, wealthy, then do good deeds. Do good deeds. And we have the opportunity as a church together to do it today at our care facilities, at our senior living facilities today to take a portion of our time today, 45 minutes, an hour, drive there, hold signs, walk around, smile, wave, and encourage others who can't leave the facility. We can leave, we're here. But it's an opportunity for us here to be rich in good deeds, to use our time or our talents, and to say, man, I'm going to give an hour of my day to make the day of someone else. Those who are living there, the care providers there, one hour. And God's saying, this is what I want you to do. Be rich in good deeds. He says, this is the greatest wealth. But secondly, he says, to be generous to be generous. And he's talking about our money, our physical money wealth. And here's our challenge. I think in our own personal lives, when we have an opportunity to be generous, we typically go towards the minimum instead of the maximum. We're people who lean towards the minimum, if we're honest, instead of the maximum when it comes to generosity with our finances. But generosity is like outrageous giving. It's not what's expected, it's far beyond. So let me ask you this difficult question, you and I, okay? Would a jury of 10 people reviewing our life right now classify our lives as generous? Would a jury of 10 people right now evaluating our lives, classify our lives as generous right now. Anybody want to go first? 
Anybody interested in, you know, I'll, I'll, you can go and then I'll pick 10 others in the room who will evaluate your life right now and come to the conclusion of whether you're guilty or not guilty in the area of generosity. Mm. <laughs> Nobody wants to sign up for that. That'd be scary, right? But basically, Paul is calling Timothy out and he's saying, hey, where are you at in life with being rich in good deeds, being generous with your money? And then thirdly, being willing to share, share your stuff. And so often in our minds, we're like, well, I don't have anything really to share. We all have something to share. Each of us at a different level have a certain level of wealth, especially to what I just read you earlier when I started. Jesus was very clear when he said, to those who have been given much, much will be required. And so to whatever extent we have wealth, we have responsibility in how we handle it, Jesus said. None of us are off the hook in that area. And so Paul starts with the command one. Don't do this. Don't be arrogant. Don't put your hope in your wealth. He goes to command two. But with your wealth, do this. Be rich in deeds with your time and your talent. That's where here I challenge people, hey, serve three hours within the church a month and then three hours out in your community every month. Intentionally sign up where you're going to serve. Be rich in good deeds. Be generous financially and be willing to share whatever you have. Because ultimately, it's God's anyways, right? We don't own it. And so he gives command one, command two, but then he ends with the carrot and says, in this way, if you live this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. He's saying, listen, you can make investment ahead towards heaven, eternal life. How you practice good deeds, generosity, sharing your stuff, can make eternal investments in people's lives that last for eternity. Can set up treasure in heaven beyond this life. That can transform a person's situation. Just the fact of doing a parade around the senior living facilities today, I guarantee you will put joy and hope in people's tank. Because here's the conclusion. True life is using what we have, not only for ourselves, but more so for the lives of others. A couple of years ago, I was doing a fundraiser with Family Pathways. I was emceeing the night for them. It was one of their galas to raise money for what they do. And prior to the fundraiser, I was visiting with a young gal who had just came from her grandmother's funeral. And she said, it's so interesting to be here tonight at the fundraiser. I just came from my grandmother's funeral. And she was a woman who was wealthy. She had much. But 
She lived in such a way where you wouldn't know. And she said her conviction on how she wanted to live was that she said, I live simply so that others can simply live. Wow. She chose to live simply, even though she had much, so that others could simply live. And I think that little line, that little story, encapsulates this whole series, encapsulates what Timothy or Paul is wanting to teach Timothy here. Calling us towards greater simplicity in life so that others around us can simply live. And I'm calling us as well to take this month of talking about wealth and to review and to reflect. Is it W-E-L-L-P-H? Well with our souls. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. It's comprehensive, touches every area of our lives, and uh, often, boy, it's hard. We don't like it, but it's good. It's good to live as you have called us to live because, as Paul said, it's truly life. It's truly life, and it provides us joy and security, contentment, provides us peace in our lives. And so I pray favor over each one as we evaluate where we're at, Lord God. In your holy name, amen.